It's Arjun, back with another video. Normally I wouldn't do two in a row, and I don't want you to think I'm getting lazy with the writing, but the topic this week was doing a deep dive on very similarly worded resolutions found in the proxies of five major U.S. investment banks, uh, Bank America, Citigroup, Goldman, J.P. Morgan, and Wells. Uh, these are so-called climate proposals, in my opinion, these proposals are actually purely anti-fossil fuel financing or funding proposals. And I actually think if somehow they were ever uh, enacted, would actually be quite bad for the climate and the environment, never mind the other issues, availability, affordability, reliability, and security. But you hear a lot of posturing that climate proposals were voted down by shareholders. And I think it's important to do a deep dive on what these proposals actually say, what they mean, and I would push back hard that these proposals are somehow consistent with a healthier environment or some sort of long-term decarbonization effort. This is not the way to go about it, in my opinion. When you target U.S. investment banks, when you target U.S. investors, all you might end up with, if they were ever were to succeed, would be less U.S., Canadian, and possibly Western European supply and there's no chance that either makes sense or would in fact be good for either the climate or the environment. I know it's a little bit longer of a video. I know this may seem like a little bit of a niche uh, deep dive to go into, but I think it's an important topic to understand and to communicate. And while this video may not be for the masses, I do hope it will get through to at least some of you. Thank you. So all five major banks received anti-fossil fuel funding climate resolutions, Bank of America, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, and Wells Fargo. All of the resolutions were similarly worded in demanding banks adopt policies by the end of 2022 that would ensure financing does not contribute to new fossil fuel supply. And all referenced the IEA net zero report by 2050 that stated, I quote, there is no need for investment in new fossil fuel supply. Now, let me go through some of the language in these resolutions. These were put forth by various shareholder activists, uh, small shareholders, but essentially the activists, and they had to have coordinated. They were proposed by different organizations, but all had almost identical language. So in the case of JP Morgan, and I, I will link to the proxies for the five banks in the Substack version of this, um, shareholders request that J.P. Morgan Chase adopt a policy by the end of 2022 in which the company takes available actions to help ensure that its financing does not contribute to new fossil fuel supplies that will be inconsistent with the IEA's net zero emissions by 2050 scenario. That is the formal resolution. There is quite a bit of supporting documentation that goes with that. I'm going to highlight two of the points. And this is again from the activists uh, resolution. While JP Morgan Chase has asserted that it's taking comprehensive steps to align with the climate goals of the Paris Agreement, the company's position as a leading financier of fossil fuel conflicts with a scenario in which global warming does not exceed one and a half degrees Celsius. Further on, for instance, in May, 2021, the IEA found that for the world to limit warming to one and a half degrees Celsius by 2050, Effective immediately, there is no need 
for new investment in new fossil fuel supply. The IEA's one and a half degree scenario does not contemplate new fossil fuel development, but JP Morgan continues to finance. And I think this is the heart of the issue they're making. JP Morgan, you say you want to be Paris aligned. The IEA, and I will note one of its scenarios, but this is what they're quoting, is saying there's no need for any new fossil fuel supply development. So why do you continue to finance? This is a way to get the banks, it's very similar language in all five, five of them, to stop essentially immediately financing any new oil and gas development. So let's go to the uh, responses from the bank boards. All five were against the proposals uh, and they all recommended shareholders but against the proposals. I, I thought JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo were the most clear at explaining why the proposals did not make sense and kudos to them my critique of the Bank of America and Citigroup, and you, you can read their responses, you may disagree, was that the Bank of America and Citigroup use more the language of appeasement. We are, you know, we care about decarbonization, we're doing all the right things, et cetera, et cetera. I, I thought the articulation of why these are bad proposals is very important because they're gonna keep coming back. And again, kudos to JP Morgan, Goldman, and Wells. I think all five banks recognize there is a need to solve for the full spectrum of energy and climate issues. Good job by the banks on that. And I think all five noted that the IEA report was being taken out of context. I'll, I'll come back to that later. So I, I wanna go through some of the language in the responses from the boards of these companies and their proxies. And I apologize, I'll be reading this a little bit, but I think it's really important to articulate the issues the problems with these kind of shareholder resolutions. And this is from JP Morgan. And again, they've got a much longer response. I'm just gonna go through a few highlights. An abrupt withdrawal from financing new oil and gas projects could trigger unintended negative consequences, including, including increasing energy price volatility without decarbonizing demand, which is important to address climate change. Energy insecurity exacerbated by geopolitical turmoil further underscores the need for pragmatic efforts to support energy producers on decarbonizing reliable sources of supply. Good job by JP Morgan, unintended negative consequences, high price volatility without decarbonizing demand. This folks is why I started Super Spike. My concern, my challenge was, I think all we're gonna get right now is a high and volatile price environment without any change to our carbon trajectory. JP Morgan is saying just as much, and they're calling for pragmatic efforts. Good job by JP Morgan. Further on, and again, they have a much longer response. We have engaged extensively with our shareholders regarding the firm's approach to climate change related risks and opportunities, and shareholders have been largely supportive. Again, I, like, I don't work at JP Morgan. I don't know exactly which of their shareholders they would have reached out to. I suspect they have reached out to certainly all their large shareholders and probably a broader group than that. And that is the way it should be. The bank's management or indoor its directors should be in communication with uh, both major and minor shareholders. And I have no doubt that JP Morgan, um, I'd be confident JP Morgan has done that. Uh, further, management is best positioned to make decisions on which types of economic activity to finance as a fundamental part of day-to-day -day operations of our core business in the interests of our shareholders and stakeholders. Again. Good job, JP Morgan, sticking up for yourself. There's no question. Management is best positioned to make decisions, not activists. 
and frankly, not individual shareholders. There should be an iterative process where management and the board understand the goals and needs of, of shareholders. Banks are also heavily regulated. It is up to the regulators to decide whether JP Morgan has sufficient capital on hand and is taking prudent risks uh, in relation to the rewards they hope to, 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 to reap. Uh, the idea that small activist shareholders are best positioned to judge, I, I, I would push back on that. Good job by JP Morgan sticking up for itself. Uh, further on, this is actually my favorite line. It comes from Goldman Sachs. You all know, or most of you know, I used to be a partner there, worked there for 15 years. Uh, kudos to whichever one of my former colleagues came up with this line. We do not believe placing limits on financing to producers will result in either reduction in emissions or demand for fossil fuels. That is an awesome line. This is my point. Trying to kill fossil fuel supply is not going to lead to either a reduction in emissions or demand. That's not the nature of it. And again, these proposals are all at U.S. banks. So all you're doing is, for the most part, killing U.S. and Canadian supply. That is not going to lead to either a reduction in emissions or a reduction in demand. Great job, former colleagues at Goldman Sachs. Uh, one of my favorite lines. Wells Fargo. I, sorry if this sounds borderline insulting, but I was surprised. They actually did a very good job as well. You know, when you when you work at Goldman, you kind of think Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, maybe Credit Suisse are the competitors out there. And you can be a little dismissive, I think, of, or at least maybe I was, of the commercial banks. But I, I, I like the job Wells Fargo did here. So this is a little longer. I'll try and read it quickly. Implementing the proposal's recommended policy to stop lending and underwriting activities that contributed to new fossil fuel development would effectively preclude us from offering general purpose loans to the oil and gas sector. We do not believe this approach is reasonable based on current energy usage and the potential negative impacts such a restrictive policy could have on the US economy. Rather, we believe our target setting approach and ongoing participation in financing the new capabilities and resources oil and gas companies will need for the future. Coupled with our continued substantial investment in renewable solar and wind projects, will better facilitate an orderly and balanced transition away from high-emitting hydrocarbons. Great job, Wells Fargo. We need new capabilities and resources, new capabilities and resources from oil and gas companies, but they're also going to invest substantial capital into renewable solar and wind, and that will facilitate an orderly transition, a more orderly transition in the views of Wells Fargo. Again, great job sticking up for yourself, defending your uh, business practices. And finally, from Wells Fargo, again, kudos to Wells. Uh, they're the only ones who actually specifically addressed that I saw the IEA report. And I'll, I'll quote here again. Although the IEA scenario cited in the proposal assumes no new oil and gas developments are needed to attain net zero, the IEA scenario is only one of several scenarios. And these other scenarios do not make the same assumption. We do not believe that conditioning our financing on a single assumption in a single scenario, which itself contains hundreds of other assumptions, is an effective or practical way to manage our lending practices or to further our net zero goal. Great job, Wells Fargo. I could not have written this better myself. We do not believe that conditioning our financing on a single assumption, it's absurd. It is absurd what is being asked. It's being called out. This is buried in a proxy. It, it is published. I'm not going to. I'm not going to blame them for bearing this in a proxy. That's the, the way these things work. 
this should be broadcast in a much broader way. Maybe I'm doing that right now. Great job, Wells Fargo, in highlighting the issue. Uh, One thing on the IA, um, they come up with a net zero report. I think they can't pretend that it's shocking to see it weaponized in this manner. I, I believe, you know, listen, I wrote research during my career and the beginning of my career, perhaps I was taken by surprise at some of the attention it received. But once it receives attention, you know what you're saying. You know the messages you're delivering. I, I think they knew what they were doing here, and they've allowed themselves to be weaponized, perhaps on purpose. I don't know. At least Wells Fargo is, uh, again, defending themselves and calling it out. So shareholders voted down the proposals. The resolutions received 9 to 11 support at Bank of America, City, Goldman, and Wells. I'm recording this before the J.P. Morgan vote is released. I believe it'll be released on uh, Friday. Uh, so we'll see where that comes out. I think there's a real question on why were they voted down? And, and I do think the reasoning matters. So did investors recognize this is simply this is bad? It would be bad policy to stop funding fossil fuels. That, that to me, if investors recognize that it's bad policy, that would give me the most hope. I think the three other reasons that might have contributed to them being voted down that I think are not as great if they're the reasons. First is that energy has been sharply outperforming the S&P. This idea that Russia-Ukraine is, is a game changer, it is. Uh, I, again, I, I don't know if that's why I would want to vote down this specific proposal. Uh, and that traditional energy is important to the success of these banks. I'm, all of these are true. Two, three, and four are all true. But energy is not always going to be in favor. It's not always going to happen. We, we know that if you covered energy over 30 years, it definitely doesn't always outperform. It's never as popular as tech, as an example. Russia-Ukraine, for sure, is a game changer. But I reject the notion that we're choosing between energy security and climate. We need to solve for all of it. We do need to decarbonize. Make no mistake, we absolutely need to decarbonize. This is not the way to do it. These resolutions are not the way to do it. Okay, That's the point I'm making. And it's, I think, critical that people understand why these are bad policies. They're not bad policies because energy is now in favor. It's going to go out of favor and in favor. We're always going to need energy, whether it's popular or not. This is bad policy uh, on, on the basic principles of it. So, in my opinion, anti-fossil fuel supply is bad policies. Policies to try and restrict fossil fuel supply, not good policies. When you go after U.S. investors and essentially U.S. banks, yes, Goldman, J.P. Morgan, they have global businesses, the others probably do as well. You are overwhelmingly targeting fossil fuel supply in the U.S. and Canada and to a lesser degree, Western Europe. How does that makes sense. If we don't produce it here, it is going to be produced elsewhere. I would argue that's going to be bad for the environment, bad for the climate, and bad for all the other things we care about, availability, security, reliability, etc. There seems to be this presumption on the part of climate activists that fossil fuel supply drives demand as if it's just another product, right? Peloton, probably not a good example with the troubles they're facing, but Peloton produces bikes, uh, I guess you could kill the supply of Peloton bikes, and you would probably kill the demand of Peloton bikes. Tobacco, maybe a better example. Yes, it's bad for your health. I don't think there's any question about that. Maybe if you kill tobacco supply or try and tax it or make it less available, you can affect the use of it. Energy is fundamental to everything we do. And of course, really no energy company, no oil and gas company produces any products that use their product. They don't make Ford F-150s. Oil companies did not create Amazon Prime delivery. They don't create data servers. 
uh, that suck up a whole bunch of energy. We need fossil fuel supply for all of our economic uh, well-being, uh, and for that matter, our environmental well-being. Uh, it's it, it's um, it's not a situation, in my opinion, where supply drives demand, and I think that is the source of a lot of this bad policy. Again, I think taking supply out of U.S. and Canada which only means we'll get more supply in the rest of the world, that's going to be bad for the climate and for the environment. And of course, bad for availability, affordability, reliability, and security. So what is the point of these resolutions? Is it degrowth? It's the only thing you can conclude. It's, it's the famous Greta Thunberg, how dare you speech, right? Fantasies of uh, eternal economic growth, to, to paraphrase. Uh, degrowth? as a strategy is disgusting and repulsive. No one should be okay with that. I am a retired Goldman partner. I will be okay in a more lackluster economic environment. That is not true of even middle-class and working-class folks around the world, including in America, let alone the billions of people who are truly poor in Africa, parts of Africa, parts of India, parts of Southeast Asia, and other developing countries, Latin America as well. A degrowth strategy is one that leaves humanity behind. You live longer. You have better environmental outcomes when you have economic growth, which is fueled by energy. Ideally, lower carbon energy for now, carbon energy, whether it's carbon or non-carbon, degrowth is absolutely a kind of philosophy everyone should fundamentally and morally be against. These resolutions are bad for the climate. Less US and Canada means more Russia and Middle East. No one could possibly think that that is good for the environment or good for the climate, let alone any other variable. Our environmental standards in the US and Canada either are higher than the rest of the world or they should be. And let me, let me spend a second on the should be part. We need to address methane. We're not sufficiently doing it. Doing it. I personally um, do critique the oil and gas companies for not moving fast enough to create industry-wide or basin-wide solutions. I think individual companies have good faith promises that I uh, accept. We need a broader base solution. It's within reach. You have to get there. We should be the cleanest barrels in the world. Let's make sure we are. We are on some things like some basic environmental standards and labor standards. We have to be there on carbon as well. That is something I would push the oil and gas industry to move much faster on. Uh, net zero pathways are they're ultimately going to be demanded by investors and potentially enforceable by regulators if you think of something perhaps like methane or <laughs> ideally industry trade groups, though I'm not sure we're there as far as the oil and gas industry goes, but whoever it is, uh, that is the that is the means and mechanism by which we move to net zero. They're going to be laws passed by Congress. Ultimately, that makes sense. Uh, trade groups can do this. Investors can do it. That is the right pathway. Finally, point I make, final point I make is U.S. and Canada are only 23 million barrels a day of a 100 million barrel a day market. Why would you target U.S. banks in an effort to kill U.S. and Canadian supply? Even under dramatic net zero scenarios that significantly reduce the demand for oil, which I don't think we're on track for, in 2050, my view is oil demand will be somewhere between 75 and 120 million barrels a day. But let's say you think some technology breakthrough is going to lead to an even faster reduction in oil demand. It's unlikely to be less than 30 million barrels a day 
uh, by tw by 2050. All of that oil, all of it should come from the U.S. and Canada. Why would you target U.S. banks and tell them to stop funding? There's no way that is good policy. So what climate steps do make sense? I don't believe in only critiquing. I think you have to offer solutions. First, how about reforming corporate average fuel economy, our fuel efficiency standards? Stop making an exemption for SUVs. Instead of fleet-wide, make it vehicle-specific, i.e. every vehicle sold should get at least, I don't know, 30 or 35 miles per gallon. Maybe we won't be able to ban SUVs, but let's reform CAFE so we really get the kind of fuel economy savings that, that we could otherwise, I would say, easily have if we actually had real standards. I am in favor of whatever we can do to promote energy efficiency. We will never decarbonize solely from energy efficiency, but there is a lot that can be done to make the, the gap uh, not as wide as it is right now. I'm actually intrigued by heat pumps as an example. What can we do here to incentivize, promote energy efficiency? Zero methane, and I know the engineers of you out there will push back on the zero, so I put it in quotes, it's an aspiration, but certainly within the oil and gas industry, uh, a zero methane aspiration is within reach. Let's get there. Nuclear power, if we really want low carbon, reliable, reliable power, uh, it's going to come from nuclear. At least today, it is going to come from nuclear. It is almost certainly not on a broad-based basis going to come from unreliables like wind and solar. There are other issues with nuclear that we all know about. The last major build-out was really the 1970s. So hopefully, uh, you know, Hopefully technology's progressed in 50 years. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess it has. Uh, let's have a Marshall Plan on nuclear. Final point, the streamlining of red tape that impedes domestic, uh, domestic, I'm talking US and maybe Canada, infrastructure investment, that actually impacts all forms of energy. Obviously oil and gas pipelines, uh, we need to push back against pipeline obstructionism, but it also impacts high-speed transmission lines, which are needed for the renewables that we will have. We. Uh, if we want some elements of solar and wind development, all forms of energy supply do get negatively impacted by red tape. Uh, let's figure out ways to streamline that. The final slide I want to go through is how can oil and gas companies be climate resilient? Because I don't think these kind of proposals are going away, no matter how misguided and ill-advised I think they are. The first question for any company is, can you survive on your internal cash flow only? Um, and what about those that won't be able to? And it may not just be that Wall Street financing is not there. It could be insurance. It could be any number of areas that are negatively impacted by kind of ill-advised climate-only ideology. So what opportunities might exist uh, for others that may struggle? This is both offensive and defensive in its consideration. Clearly, companies need to be profitable. I think I spent a lot of time on that. You all know that. Fortress balance sheet. Um, there, I get some pushback on this. There is no such thing as too strong of a balance sheet in an environment where you, when you're facing unrelenting pressure from activists. I think a strong balance sheet is critical. And lastly, I think we do, the sector does need to be relevant to the S&P 500. And I, I do worry about that. It's not so much that anyone or even I should care about whether the oil and gas industry is two or five or zero or 10%. But for broader humanity, they're going to need the supply that comes. And when these companies aren't relevant, when, the, if, when or if they're not relevant, as we saw in 2020, you can get some really bad policies come through. It is the, in the interests of humankind.
to have these companies ensure they have a seat at the table. And I think may, maybe I'm too much of an investor, but S&P relevance to me is the, the ticket. I do think oil and gas companies need to be bulletproof. And part of that is net zero scopes one and two with zero methane. I am going to give Valero Energy a shout out here, the refiner. I think they have the most credible net zero plan out of any traditional company, more so than even the European majors, which have gone a <laughs> I'll, I'll be polite. They've, they've gone in a, 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 a crazy direction, in my opinion, but maybe that's not so polite. But Valero, I think, has a very credible net zero scopes one and two objective by 2035. Renewable diesel is a core competency for them. I think more companies really need to come up with their articulation. And of course, I've already mentioned zero methane several times. That should be the aspiration. It is a goal that is within sight. So I'll end this video on a personal note. This week's musical selection comes from the Dropkick Murphys, a great Irish rock band from Boston that does a cover of the 1930s coal miner song, Which Side Are You On? The original song was written to support workers' rights. Uh, are you uh, with the union or are you going to be a scab, someone crossing the picket lines? That's not the focus of this week's video. I will say as I've gotten older in life. I think my sensitivity to workers' rights is something I've gained more um, understanding of and support for. Uh, but this is also not a video about political sides in the classic sense. So I think anyone that's followed Super Spike can probably discern that I'm definitely not a woke progressive and a lot of the virtue signaling stuff I do explicitly push back on. On the other side, uh, I also find myself challenged with what might be the opposition to that. Uh, yes, there are a number of sort of conservative principles that I do find myself sympathetic to, but I'm not sympathetic to the idea that we should do nothing about climate or the environment or that existing rules should be gutted, perhaps streamlined, but not gutted. So the question is, which side are you on? Are you on the side of extremists, left or right? Uh, or are you on the side of real solutions that actually help the billions of people that are less fortunate than anyone watching this video? I don't like the term moderate. I don't think there's anything moderate about any of this. We absolutely need economic growth and we need energy supply growth. And we need that with ideally as small of a climate and environmental footprint as possible. That is the side I'm on. Reject extremism, reject woke progressive ideology, but reject the opposite side that wants to pretend that there's nothing to be done. I am, as you know, pro-capitalism, anti-socialism, but markets don't solve all problems. And in fact, uh, the environment and quite likely the climate are areas where we need sensible policy. That's the side I'm on. Thank you. Okay.